Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Some councils are auditing schools and urging a ban on the terms boy and girl. For those who are in an open or polyamorous relationship, your relationships are holy. A gay black woman's victim status is less than that of a black trans woman who ranks below a black Muslim trans woman. We don't want to just win the argument about sexuality. We want to use this as a gospel opportunity. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome to Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks in studio today, which must mean it's Wednesday. Witness Wednesday, to be exact. Todd and the rest of the team are strolling around the campus of Kennesaw State University today looking for students to chat with. You know, and it's always an uncertainty of who they're going to encounter and how the conversation is going to go. But one thing we can definitely learn from most of these chats is the fact that kids are willing to talk and listen. Actually, they seem to almost be longing for someone to discuss these deeper things of life with. So let's not waste a whole lot of time today before we get out to the campus. Let's get out there now. This is Samuel, who has a book in his backpack that he just tucked away. The title of it is? Christ of the Covenants. What does that mean? The title, of course, is discussing Jesus Christ and how we relate to him. And we relate to him through the covenants. So we understand that the Bible is organized in a certain fashion. That central theme is around Christ and how he relates to us is through the covenants. So if I approached you, Samuel, and I said, I'm interested in this Christ of the covenants, tell me, why should I consider the claims of Jesus Christ? There's been many answers to that. One might say that he's just a, a good person, good, good model, but I would want to start the conversation at where essentially we need him because we come to him on a basis of need, of deprivation. He doesn't need us. We come to this Christ of the covenants because of our deprivation that has happened as a result of sin. We've become deprived of life itself. Sin has corrupted us. We are fallen and we are harmed and we harm ourselves and others. How are we to find someone who doesn't need us, but still wants us? Christ himself, who's God, uh, became incarnate. He took on flesh and uh, this was a willing act. He desired to come to us, even though he didn't need it, and we needed it. Why did we need it? Well, we needed salvation from our sins, because the wages of sin is death. And this sin came about from you know, our, our federal head. We all fell in Adam. When Adam transgressed the first covenant, that uh, covenant of creation, he and Eve took the fruit. In him, we all fell and all took on a uh, corrupted nature. And so by this corrupted nature, we continue in sin and we continue to, to violate God's law and live in a rebellion against him. The result of all of this rebellion is that God must destroy rebellion. He must justly condemn sin. That's obviously, I think that's an undesirable outcome for us. It becomes much clearer to us why we ought not to remain in our sins, but to run as fast as we can to Christ, when we realize that the disgusting depravity that is sin, it corrupts our mind, it corrupts our heart, hurts our relationships. It's, it's truly an awful thing. I think the more you, you become familiar with that corruption of the world, you want to find a solution. Christ is the real solution because he's the one who created the world and he's the one who can redeem the world and indeed has redeemed the world on the cross. So these covenants of which you speak, 
Can you tell me what they are? There's a couple of small covenants, but the really big ones are, we start with the covenant of creation. God has a, a decreed relationship between him and mankind who he created in his image. He says, work the garden, there's a positive works, take dominion over the earth. And there's negative works too. Do not take the fruit. So this covenant right here, the covenant of creation is what Adam and Eve violated. Eve took the fruit, she was deceived. She ate, she gave the, the fruit to Adam who was with her and he ate. At that moment, they fell. So their relationship with God needed reconciliation. Their, their sins had separated them from God. God came to them, it says in the cool of the day, confronted them about the sins that they committed. You know, asked the order of events, or who told you that you were naked? They said, you know, they were, they were fr- afraid because they were naked. But God curses the serpent who deceived them and establishes, e- even in that, in that verse, uh, chapter 3 of Genesis, uh, this covenant of redemption. And this is, this is the, these are the two greatest structures. You have a covenant of creation, a covenant of redemption. One was, was based on do this and live. Um, the other one is I will graciously redeem you from the sins that you've committed under the first covenant. We have the Noahic covenant. We have the Abrahamic covenant. We have the Mosaic covenant. We have the Davidic covenant. The prophets speak of a new covenant yet to come. This covenant is an eternal covenant, is a new covenant, new especially in a renewed sense. We know that when Christ comes, he inaugurates this new covenant, says this is a new covenant in my blood. We understand that to mean that the cross is a central figure of the new covenant. So with all of that, would you be the type of Christian who would therefore say that other religious worldviews are wrong? They're not going to come to God if they're not coming to God on his terms. Um, God has only promised to redeem us through his son. So no other religion that tries to find redemption, anything other than how God has prescribed to restore that relationship, will be able to bring blessing to man. So they're wrong. They're certainly wrong. Samuel, how long did you and I talk before I started this interview? I'd say about a minute, maybe two. And yet, I'm a complete stranger. You're just kind of laying out a lot of religious stuff. You don't seem embarrassed. You don't seem all that concerned that I actually might be offended. Um, That's pretty striking. Why is that? Um, I find myself responsible to be salt and light in the world, as Jesus says we are to be. And... It's one thing that we struggle with is to be courageous in a world that rejects Christ. If the victory is already won, I don't see any reason to cower and be embarrassed. There's, there's personal reasons why we may struggle with having courage, but it's not courage in ourselves. It's courage in the message. And we know that message is true. We know that God is faithful. If we have faith in that message, uh, there's, there's no reason to tremble. There's no reason to fear about people rejecting it because ultimately the only thing they're rejecting is God. It's about God's faithfulness and that strengthens me to to speak truth. So I'm guessing you grew up in some sort of religious home. Am I correct? Yeah, I'd say so. And you went to church a lot? Usually every week. And I'm going to guess Presbyterian. No, it's actually, um, I've I've become Presbyterian, but I started Seventh-day Adventist. It was a little bit of a little bit of a trip. Seventh Day Venice 
then to Messianic Jewish, then to um, Southern Baptist, and now I'm a Presbyterian. Seriously, do you think this is your final destination, or might there be another spot you land? I don't. I don't think I'm going to keep on moving. I think um, one thing. One of my elders was very gracious and wise to advise me was to take roots um, and not just be blowing around. It's necessary for a young man to have roots in a, in a local congregation, to have roots in, in saying, well, this is true because this is how we understand the Bible. There's a little bit of room where we have to say, yeah, I might change this or that. When we find the essentials, we find those core doctrines that really structure our faith, and we also see structures of the Bible, uh, we're going to hold on to those. I think that I've, I've found at least some strong holding points that I can hold on to that can keep me into the Presbyterian tradition. All right, so you grew up SDA. There are some people who would say that the Seventh-day Adventist version of Christianity is indeed Christian. There are others who would say, no, it's not. With your experience growing up SDA, would you say that SDA is a Christian religion within the orthodoxy that you're describing? There is some difficulty in that because there are certainly heterodoxical teachings within the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but you, you find the gospel preached there, and you see the, uh, the sacraments administered, you see baptism, you see Lord's Supper, they also have foot washing. But as long as the gospel is preached, um, salvation by grace through faith, and uh, the word is read, sacraments administered, you have a church. And you have people hearing the word and believing the word, you have Christians. So I'd say that's a Christian church. Now, as far as mere Christianity, that's that's where we can, we can take it with Seventh-day Adventists and uh, Seventh-day Adventism in general. So to the people who would say, actually, it's a works-based system, you would say? I would say that there is a tendency within the Seventh-day Adventist Church to focus on works and even make those works about redemption. This tendency exists in other churches, too. We don't necessarily question whether they're churches or not. When they start polluting the gospel, you have to be careful. And I do think there are, there's tendencies within Seventh-day Adventist teachings that, that would be incongruent with the gospel. If that's the case, wouldn't that mean they're outside of Christian orthodoxy? Well, there's, there's tendencies. If, if you lean into those tendencies, you are going to fall outside of the line. The fact is that they're right on the line because of the uh, somewhat unclear teachings it may differ based on churches. It may differ based on the individuals within church. And stop. Wow, how great is this conversation? Seriously, I mean, Samuel, such an interesting young man with quite the faith journey. And we haven't seemed to determine just yet if Seventh-day Adventists are outside of Christian orthodoxy or not. But we will continue with this chat next on Wretched Radio. If and you don't mind me saying so, I resonate with this sentiment from Dan Steiner of Preborn Ministries. To be able to look across America and see this holocaust of abortion and know that people like you are doing something about it. It's one thing to say that we're against abortion, but it's really another to take action. Do you resonate? 
With that sentiment, then please consider supporting Preborn Ministries. Ultrasounds save lives. For $28, you will be providing an ultrasound that 80% of the time causes the mother to choose life. That's really doing something. May I ask, how many babies' lives could you save for $28 each? Preborn Ministries also preaches the gospel to the mommies and the daddies. And you can learn more at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Hey, thank you for listening to Wretched Radio today. Have you been getting the monthly Wretched newsletters into your email? If you haven't, you should feel slighted and left out because you're really missing out. You're missing messages that are thorough and in-depth and cover a wide range of theological issues Christians are facing. You're missing updates on all the new things going on at Wretched. Updates on resource release dates, updates on upcoming sales in the rented store, and the most important update of all, Todd's haircut and beard trim schedule. And you're missing out on it all if you're not subscribed. But it's simple to rectify this huge mistake in your life. Just head over to wretched.org slash newsletter and get all signed up. Oh, and I forgot to mention, as a subscriber to the Wretched Monthly Newsletter, you're eligible to win free stuff. We give resources away every day here at Wretched Radio to our news newsletter subscribers. So don't miss the free stuff. Wretched.org slash newsletter. That's wretched.org slash newsletter. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Hey, Tomorrow Club supporter, this message from Paul Marty, the director of the Tomorrow Clubs, is just for you. You know, it's been more than 25 years now since my wife Cindy first brought leaders and kids together for the very first Tomorrow Club. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been touched. We're grateful for all the ways you help kids in forsaken places learn to follow Jesus. Thank you for your support of the Tomorrow Clubs. $30 a month, Disciples 30 kids kids in Eastern Europe and now in Africa, where Tomorrow Clubs anticipates they could be opening up a hundred new clubs in a year. Would you please consider becoming a Tomorrow Club supporter? Kids clubs that meet in forsaken places, they get loved on, they hear the gospel, they memorize Bible verses, and they're getting saved. To support your own Tomorrow Club, please visit tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Books of the Bible The Book of Psalms is a collection of divinely inspired songs of praise for every season in life. There are songs of lament, thanksgiving, praise, celebration, and remembrance of God's mighty deeds, all to help us find our soul's delight in God in all circumstances. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And welcome back to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. Todd and team out on campus at Kennesaw State University. And we've been listening in as Todd speaks with Samuel, a former Seventh-day Adventist turned Messianic Jew turned Southern Baptist turned Presbyterian. He and Todd have been discussing the orthodoxy of Seventh-day Adventists and will resume their chat now. What about the investigative judgment? I actually haven't learned as much about it as probably most Adventists would be familiar with, but um, I do think that it's a very risky um, teaching. Investigative judgment, of course, referring to the, uh, you got to keep the true Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, as opposed to the first-day Sabbath, which we understand is the Christian Sabbath. 
it, it depends on how much you you focus on that. And I think I think they would say that the, those who are in the true faith would keep that. So there's there's a little bit of weird wiggle room in how you interpret it. Um, if if you become fixated on that, you must keep it. You know, whatever else doesn't really matter. But God really cares about you keeping the Sabbath. Then you're starting to take the the fast lane out of the out of gospel territory, and that would be certainly investigative judgment where Jesus even now is in heaven, uh, basically constantly atoning for us, almost in a sacrificial way, as opposed to his work was completed on the cross. He continues that service in heaven for the sake of redemption of people. Do you think that is within Christian orthodoxy? That sounds quite outside of it. I, I really haven't heard any of that. So I suppose it, it still kind of depends on whether the pastors are actually teaching what they're supposed to believe. Yeah, I, I, I suspect that there are some that maybe don't adhere to certain things, but the codified statements of SDA seem to place it outside of historical Christian orthodoxy with the mandate you must keep the Sabbath in order to be saved, as opposed to you keep Sabbath because you have been saved. And the investigative judgment, um, an emphasis on works, maintaining your salvation, etc. Other religions outside of SDA aren't orthodox according to them. Yeah. All right. So your Presbyterian church, where you go, Samuel, how long have you been going there? Um, Three months, maybe. That's it. So you've been Kind of going from SDA to, where'd you go next? Then it was Messianic Jewish. Then it was uh, Southern Baptist. I was at the Southern Baptist Church for about a year. And that was my first real home sitting in a, in, in a church that I believe really faithfully acted in a, in a manner that is fitting of Christ's church. But you jumped the Baptist ship and went Presbyterian. How come? I just started to see things that were in tension with the uh, the Baptist explanation of Scripture in general, um, how we're to understand the law, how we're to understand the Sabbath. I'm a first-day Sabbatarian. I, I rest on the first day according to the command. Things like these, they, they, um, they didn't sit well with me as I, as I read the Bible. I was memorizing Galatians. And I just kept on reading chapter three because, you know, when you're memorizing, you have to keep on reading scripture. And, um, you know, read the, the part how we are blessed along with Abraham. That's significant. That, that ties us to the Abrahamic covenant. I had to go down that rabbit trail. I started reading the, uh, the books of the, uh, the major prophets. I looked at the minor prophets. I looked at all the covenants throughout redemptive history. I also, you know, thought about ecclesiology. I think it's important to think about how Christ is governing his church. But I think that strongest one was was how is how is God uh, mediating his, his covenant throughout history? And what is the what's the outward form? What's the inward form? How are we supposed to relate to God? Do we we come to God merely as individuals or or has God kept on working in his covenants uh, with families as a unit. I agree that we probably haven't had as much emphasis on covenants 
as are clearly stated in the Bible. Let me drop this on you. Not that I'm trying to lure you from being a Presbyterian to a Baptist, but you mentioned the Sabbath and the covenants and how it works. Let me just tell you how I put all those pieces together. In the creation week, we see God working six days and then resting. Kind of unusual. What was he doing? He was enjoying his work. He was enjoying himself and what he had done. We don't hear anything about it until the Mosaic covenant. And then we hear the seventh day rest instituted. And then we see throughout the Old Testament and in just rabbinical history, a wild effort to try to define how it is that you rest on the Sabbath. And so it was a law-keeping system. In fact, by the time Jesus arrived, the Sabbath command was pretty much the best test for whether or not you're a good Jew. If you're really resting according to the Pharisaical rules, then you are a good Jew. Jesus almost seemed to taunt them by doing works on the Sabbath. Not that we're works according to the Bible, but we're according to the, the rabbis. And I think there's a reason for that. Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And we also know from Colossians 2.16 that the Sabbath was a picture, a shadowy picture of Christ. And so people would work physically six days, exhausted, get a day of physical rest, back to work, a little bit of physical rest. Jesus Christ is our complete spiritual rest. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, every single second of every single day is a Sabbath rest for us because he's the Lord of the Sabbath who gives us spiritual rest. And then I think about Hebrews 8, 9, and 10, which talks about the obliteration of the Mosaic Covenant, not in columns, but the whole shebang. And I see nine of the 10 covenant commands in the New Testament reiterated, but there's one that's missing, and that would be the Sabbath. So I put all that together, stir it in a pot, and I say, the Sabbath Old Testament style was a fuzzy picture. The fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. Now we assemble on the first day, which is Resurrection Sunday, as opposed to the actual Sabbath, which would be an automatic violation of what the Sabbath rest is because that command doesn't exist anymore in that form. We don't forsake the assembling of the saints. We tend to meet on the first day of the week as opposed to the last day of the week because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. So are you going to become a Baptist now? Uh, certainly not. I guess, you know, I that was kind of my view, you know, wholesale. I took the Baptist view of the Sabbath. But there are many things that just don't sit with that. Give me the big one. I would say the one I really want to give is there's the one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament that I think really present it in its problematic light. Uh, first is, I think it's Isaiah 56, talks about the blessings of a eunuch who will keep the Lord's Sabbaths. And these blessings weren't present for the eunuchs at that time. They weren't able to come to the temple, but there was anticipation of a time when they could be part of the people, when they could be part of the covenant blessings of the people of God, be part of that group. Um, couldn't he have been a proselyte who was a part of the Jewish nation because he had converted to Jehovah? Well, you can certainly be a proselyte, but the, the eunuch couldn't enter the temple. You couldn't have mutilated... Neither could women or Gentiles. That's true. However, it's, it's to male eunuchs. So you have right there, I'm trying to set that up as anticipation of Sabbath blessings in the New Covenant. Now, we look in the, the uh, New Testament and... We have Hebrews 4, I think. It talks about, therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for the uh, people of God. The, the word, I believe there in the Greek, is uh, essentially, in the, it just means in English, sabbatizing. And call the Sabbath a delight, 
it's a it's a good thing. But what are we doing? We're imitating God, right? In, in the Old Testament, they were imitating God. They ceased from their works to worship God, to spend the whole day whole day in worship of God, to enjoy Him fully. And well, this is the first question answer of the Catechism. What's the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So the Sabbath is really that high end, and we haven't yet received the glorified bodies that we are going to have in eternity. So we're not yet into that eternal Sabbath. We haven't already and not yet. I would say we have because Jesus is the Sabbath. It was a fuzzy picture of him. He's the technicolor reality. We have our rest. Now we've already been saved. We've been redeemed. In fact, we've even been glorified, past tense, Romans 8. Because Jesus fulfilled all of the laws, we don't work anymore. We rest in him. So I agree. And that's Hebrews 4, that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, I think simply strengthens the idea that Jesus was demonstrating that was always just pointing to me, as opposed to a day that we continue to keep in obligation of the Mosaic Covenant, which has been replaced by the newer and better covenant promised by Jeremiah that he would that we would have a better covenant a new covenant so that's my take on it i know you disagree but i do want to close by saying this i'm really glad i met you because we'll talk to students regularly who claim to be christians even though you and i disagree on covenantalism to a degree i'm just grateful that you're studying this stuff you can articulate this stuff you're not ashamed of this stuff it was a breath of fresh air so thanks for that Thank you. Amen to that. I think we're all glad Todd and Samuel met today so we could eavesdrop on their conversation. Really encouraging to hear young people so clearly hungering for God's Word. Samuel definitely seems to be soaking in all of it that he can. Let's all be praying for that young man. Okay, so how are we going to be able to follow that up? Todd set the bar today pretty high. We'll continue with more Witness Wednesday next on Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, it's been reported that 40 Christians in India were threatened recently by Hindu nationalists to either convert back to Hinduism or face dire consequences. Be a Hindu or die. What a positive religion that seems to be. As we stress to you almost daily here at Wretched, please be sure that you are in constant, continuous, and fervent prayer for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. A conservative Christian group called One Million Moms has blasted the real estate company Zillow for what the group says is normalizing sin and pushing the LGBT agenda. A new commercial from Zillow features two lesbians in a relationship. The same group earlier this month also went after eHarmony for depicting two men being affectionate. The normalizing of same-sex lifestyles is being forced on families and children, claims the group. And I hate to tell you, but this is just the beginning. Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers just awarded $1 million in COVID relief funds to Planned Parenthood. What a great use of money. Evers says the money is to help communities and families. But Planned Parenthood doesn't help families. It prevents families by murdering innocent babies. You know, it's just not enough for the world to desire to legally murder babies. They do all they can to also force taxpayers to pay for it against their wills. 
Well, in Virginia, a party line vote in the State House of Representatives just recently passed HB 304. It's a bill that recognizes that babies born after a botched abortion have a right to the same medical treatment as any other person. Currently, 35 states have laws like this on the books, and it just continues to baffle me as to why anyone would think a baby born from a botched abortion deserves just to be thrown in the dumpster. Look, I know you were trying to murder a child, but you failed. I mean, isn't there an oath that says that you have to do anything to help save a life? Well, good news for parents in Wesley, Massachusetts. Last year, the school district promoted student affinity group-based sessions where only certain races were allowed to participate. And parents pushed back. And recently, school officials backtracked and changed policy to allow all students, regardless of race, the ability to participate. Racially segregating students in 2022 seems to be a trend these days, but parents in Wesley, Massachusetts have no interest in being part of that trend. And how neat does this sound? A visiting professor of religion at Columbia University recently claimed that evangelicals opposed to masking mandates were also opposing the gospel. He further claimed that this displays a spirit of antichrist. (laughs) I'm not sure who taught this guy how to study scripture, but he might want to go get a refund. That attempt in twisting scripture to fit your narrative kind of be among the worst I think I've ever seen. More Ratchet Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. An apostle is a messenger sent from God. The apostles were granted power and authority to establish the New Testament church. There are no apostles living today. But just as the early church dedicated themselves to the apostles' teachings, so we dedicate ourselves to their teachings, which have been recorded in the New Testament. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome back to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. Todd out on campus today at Kennesaw State University. We just heard him speak with Samuel, an encouraging young Christian who's definitely consuming his share of God's Word. Very encouraging conversation indeed. And we will get back to more conversations as we head back out to Todd now on campus at Kennesaw State University. Todd. This is John, and he's not just from Nigeria. John, you're from? I'm from the southern part of Nigeria. Which you also told me when I asked you where you're from. You said it is what part of Nigeria? Um, I'm from Akwabu State. Uh, We're in the south, and it's predominantly uh, Christian. That's fascinating that you say that the region you're from is predominantly Christian as such an identifier of your country. All right, what's the northern part of Nigeria? Uh, The northern part, they're predominantly uh, Muslim. So I say that because of my, my name, uh, John. So that's how I got my name. Okay. So it, it is southern part is Christian. Northern part is Islamic. How peaceful is it these days? Um, I mean, uh, you know, uh, normally there's always going to be a difference and that causes tension. Um, in, the, in the past, there's been some uh, tension that, you know, the north and the south are, are you know, in a conflict. They're constantly fighting and sometimes uh, they go as far as killing each other. But overall, we get along uh, with each other uh, peacefully, but there's always those you know, groups of people who are, unfortunately, they try to, uh, you know, always causing issues and causing problems. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. All right. Now, in Nigeria, what is the fastest growing version of Christianity based on your observation? I know you haven't been there for a decade, yeah. but what do you think it is? Oh, it's like, it's hard to tell. Um, uh, but in my opinion, I'll say uh, all of them are growing 
at you know at the same rate. Um, I'm Catholic, and there's a lot of us out there. And I've, I came to the U.S., and there's a lot of us here. So I'll say, like all of them, they have almost equal rate of growth. You mentioned when we were chatting that there is some syncretism, that there's some mixing of Christianity and what else gets blended in with Christianity in Nigeria? Uh, we do have our traditional faith uh, where we uh, pay tributes to our ancestors and respect to uh, uh, those in our lineage who, you know, make us who we are today. So we always pay respect to them. So it's, it's kind of a mixing of ancestral religion with Christianity, a blending. Yeah, in a sense, yeah, in a sense. Now, I've heard, I, I don't know if it's it's Nigeria, but it's not uncommon that there are still witch doctors. Is that is that true in Nigeria, too? No, growing up in Nigeria, um, I watch uh, a lot of movies, but you know, most time what you see on films does not always uh, correlate to uh, reality, but in movies, uh, they do exist. But personally, I haven't, I haven't had any encounter or seen any to to say, yes, it's accurately like uh, true. Yeah. Statistically, here's what I've heard, that there is a, a, a form of Christianity, a prosperity gospel, um, you know, speak words and God will make things happen for you. He'll make you rich. He'll make you healthy. Um, and a, and a uh, like God will do miracles and heal people. Do you see that or did you see that when you were in Nigeria? Uh, I believe in that because, you know, I believe in the power of words and I believe that, you know, if you have faith, you know, um, you are secured and God will always, you know, watch over you and you ask, you just ask for favors and believe in him and he will surely de uh, deliver uh, your requests. So, yeah. All right. Now, from your Catholic background and understanding, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's some differences between you and me. Uh, and what's that? Well, we're slightly different age. I'm a little taller. <laughs> and is there anything else you noticed about us that's different? Oh, I mean, we're all humans. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, physically, uh, he's taller than me. You know, you're black. I'm white. That's what I'm getting at. OK, so now, according to your religion, what is what teaching can help us to actually get along and love one another and not hurt one another? How would your Catholic faith help you to get along with a guy like me with that uh, um, that you know outside of faith is just about humanity and we should all understand that we are all made from the same material we are all made from the dust from the same god so nobody is super, uh, more superior than the other and we should all treat each other equally and we should all you know uh take each other as the same uh, as god would want us to be so that that i believe is a, a foundation to spread love and to practice love among people. Yeah. yeah I, I agree with you that I, I think without that, people are going to fight and they're going to have bad attitudes toward one another. But the Christian worldview says you and I are basically made from the same stuff by God. And the only difference between us is you have more melanin than I have. And that's it. Otherwise, we're both humans. All right. From your Catholic understanding, tell me, John, what must a guy like me do? to go to heaven when I die? Um, you know, uh, through faith, uh, you have to just, uh, you know, believe overall, believe in God and also, you know, just do well. Uh, do uh, You know, it's, it's common knowledge. We know what's good and what's not. And just practice uh, uh, good doings. Like, you know, just be a decent human being. And I'm pretty sure, like, with that, the door is open 
the door to heaven is open to you. And yeah, for sure. All right, you said I got to do good. How much? Um, no, I, I, you know, that I don't know because uh, God is the only one who can judge us. So He knows what uh, you know. He knows each of us, and I, I can't be a, uh, I can't, I, I'm not in the right position to be able to tell somebody what or to what extent they need to do in order to fulfill a promise or fulfill a goal that uh, they are trying to achieve. So, do you know that you're going to heaven? Uh, that is unknown because uh, um, me, uh, I wake up every day and I believe that, you know, I'm a good person. I have no evil intentions, but at the end of the day, it's up to God to decide where I will end up. But uh, yeah, but I like to believe I'm going to heaven. John, could I share something with you based on your name, based on John the Baptist? You, you might find this to be extraordinarily good news. Do you remember in the Old Testament all of the lambs that were sacrificed, their blood was shed. Do you remember those stories in the Old Testament? Right. For instance, Passover, they had to slit the throat of a lamb, paint the blood, and then death would pass over. And then in the sacrificial system, lambs would shed their blood for the day of atonement so that your sins could be covered. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of lambs. Because the Bible says there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. But here's what the Bible also says, that the blood of lambs and goats and bulls, it's not sufficient to pay for your sins. So in the Old Testament, those lambs didn't ever forgive sins, but a lot of lambs were killed for the covering, not for the forgiveness, not for the removal of sins, but for the covering of sins. But one day, a man named John the Baptist beheld a man who was walking and he pointed to him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. In other words, all those lambs that were not sufficient to forgive sins were only a fuzzy picture of the reality of Jesus Christ, who is the perfect, sinless Son of God who shed his blood to take away the sins of the world. That means Jesus Christ's death on the cross is powerful enough to forgive all sins and cleanse people from all unrighteousness because his death is satisfactory in the eyes of God to totally, completely forgive sins. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ's death can assure that you're going to go to heaven. You can know it beyond the shadow of a doubt. But here's, here's something that I think you need to consider. If you think that your good works are going to contribute to getting to heaven, here's the problem with that. You never know how many you need to do. You never know for sure if you've done enough. You don't know if they're going to balance the scales. Furthermore, if your works can get you to heaven somehow, then for all of eternity, John, you can take some credit for it. You can say, well, I'm here in part because I did a bunch of good stuff. That's not why God created the world. God created the world to send his son, Jesus, to take away the sins of the world so that for all of eternity, we'll praise him for saving totally bad people like us. The Christian gospel says your good works do not get you saved. Jesus saves you totally and completely. And because of that, we do good works. 
but our good works are a sign that we are forgiven. We do not do good works in order to get forgiven. Do you hear the difference? Oh, yeah. I see where you come from. Huge difference. So what I'm sharing with you is a little different than what you've learned in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church says, believe, make sure you get baptized, make sure you confess your sins, make sure that you do acts of goodness, charity, and make sure that you get last rites before you die. What I'm telling you is you forget all of those things. You trust Jesus totally and completely. And break. All right, we've got to take a pause for the calls right this moment. But when we return... Todd and John, the Roman Catholic from Nigeria, will continue their chat about the difference in salvation by grace and salvation by works. Stay with us. You're listening to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. So, you're one of them there Christians that wants a lot of bang for your giving buck. I concur completely, and that is why I would like to commend to you the Master's Academy International. If you would like to see your giving go a long way, the Master's Academy is the vehicle that will make sure your dollar goes very, very far. They train indigenous pastors in 16 countries around the globe to rightly pastor and to rightly preach the Word of God for years. For decades, consider the fruit that will be born from training a pastor to rightly divide the Word of Truth. If you would like to get a lot of bang for your giving buck, please learn more about the Masters Academy International. Pick a country that's near and dear to your heart and give with confidence. Wretched.org slash pastor. I want to share with you voicemails we receive nearly daily here at Wretched. Wretched Radio, it just really impacted my life. Just really brought me closer to God. Through your video, God saved me. Wouldn't know what to do if I didn't have NRB and Wretched TV. Just wanted to say that Wretched has changed my life. We are grateful to hear the testimonies of our listeners and our viewers, and we want you to also hear the lives that are being impacted by you, our gospel partners. These testimonies aren't about Todd. They're not about Wretched Radio or TV. We wouldn't be able to do the things that we do at Wretched without the support of our gospel partners. So would you prayerfully consider becoming a gospel partner today if you aren't already? Help us to reach the lost all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ because ultimately the glory is all His. It's not Wretched's. It's not even yours. But it is your efforts that help make our efforts possible. And all of those efforts are to the praise and glory of God alone. Get complete details right now at Wretched.org slash donate. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, Affordable Biblical Health Sharing, has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. 
Revelation. How can anyone know God unless he reveals himself? If God did not speak, religion would be nothing more than man's best guess. But God has revealed himself in creation, in the Bible, and in the person of Jesus Christ. We can know God, and we can be brought into right standing with him. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And welcome back to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. Todd out on campus at Kennesaw State University, and he's been chatting with John, a Roman Catholic from Nigeria. And when we took a break, they were discussing grace and works. So let's return now to the conversation with Todd and John here on Wretched Radio. John, what you need to do to be totally forgiven and know for a fact that you're going to go to heaven is stop relying on your good works. The Bible says your good deeds are like filthy rags. They're not acceptable to God because you're a sinner. But Jesus' works are, and Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins so that you can be forgiven and he can get all the credit because he's that good and he's that merciful. There's even more to the story here that makes it even better. When Jesus was dying on a cross, God the Father was pouring out the wrath you deserve on his beloved son. Imagine that. The Father pouring out his wrath on his own son that you deserve so that you can be forgiven, so that justice can be satisfied and God can dismiss your court case. But Jesus lived for more than three decades, never sinning. He never lied. He never dishonored his parents. He never looked with lust. He never looked at porn. He never stole anything. He always did what was right. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says, not only will God forgive you, but he will give you all of the righteousness that Jesus Christ amassed while living on this earth so that you, John, cannot just be seen as forgiven, but you can be the righteousness of God in Christ. But you have got to throw down your idea that you're doing good to get there because you and I have only done bad. But Jesus is willing to totally forgive you and credit you with his righteousness if you will repent of your sins, which simply means you turn from your sins. You don't want those things anymore and you put your trust fully in Christ. God says when you do that, He will adopt you into his family and he will hold you in his hand and he will never let you go. And you will inherit eternal life guaranteed 100% for sure. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. So, John, you're a thoughtful guy. All right. And I just presented to you an offer that is better than the one that you've been living under. A mixture of faith and works, I'm telling you, it's faith alone. By God's grace alone, throw yourself at his feet for his mercy and he'll forgive all of your sins, past, present, and future. And then you're gonna live the rest of your days doing good because you want to, not because you have to, but because you want to. That's the Christian gospel, right? And the way to have access through that by turning from your sins and putting your trust in Jesus Christ. So, John, my encouragement to you would be, I know you grew up Catholic. You've got a Bible I trust? Oh, I do. Yeah. The Gospel of John wasn't written by John the Baptist. It was written by one of Jesus' disciples. 
Those Bible verses that I was just sharing with you come from that book. Read that book and you're going to see it's true. That Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. And you can be saved totally, completely, if you'll just trust him and not yourself. Okay? All right. So I'm, I'm going to, can I push it a little further on you right now? If you've, been, if you've been trusting in anything besides Christ, like you've been trusting in your works at all, then you're not in the right relationship with God yet. Okay? He wants you to trust him totally. So if you have been kind of relying on yourself a little bit, or your good works, or a system, or even a church, or confession, or doing good deeds, throw them away. Trust in Christ wholly and totally. And he says, when you do that, he'll adopt you into his family and you'll have everlasting life. But until you give up on your good works, you're, you're not in a right relationship with him. Only Jesus can do that for you. And he's willing to, if you'll repent and trust in him. Fair enough? Mm -hmm. All right. Something to maybe think about today? Uh, think, um, I'm sorry? Something for you to think about perhaps today? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like those words are like uh, really important. Like uh, you know, it's really uplifting to know that you know fate is is really powerful. You know, it's like uh, fate alone can take you there, right. and you know, stop relying on just like yourself and what you can do, because uh, that without fate is nothing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for the words. Yeah, and it's it's uh, it kind of takes a burden off of your shoulder. Right, you know, it's like, uh, you know, to know that, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, God died for us so that our sins can be forgiven, and that's already taken care of, and we just have to just believe in Him, and yeah. Right. Correct. It's, it's, that's why it's called the good news. So, dude, if, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus in that way, I would I would really encourage you to do that today, because... You don't want a day to go by. Because remember, this isn't this isn't about escaping hell per se. I mean, it's good to not go to hell, believe me. But it's more than that. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. So a man just like you and me, knowing that you would live because he's designed you. He's knit you together. He's the one who created you and made you and gave you life. He knew that you would be living this day. And he died for you even while you were sinning. Now we should just want to know that one. We should want to be with that one. It's about being in a relationship with the God who died to save us. So it's not just about fire insurance and escaping hell. You get to know God and his kindness and his mercy and his goodness. So you should rush to believe in him so that you can be in that relationship with the, with the God who died to save your soul. So... If you haven't done that before, I think about it and call out to God and ask him to forgive you for the first time. Put your trust in him. And if you think that Christianity has been amazing so far, it'll blow your mind what's in store for you as he changes your heart and your desire and he aligns your life with reality the way that it is. He gives you purpose. He gives you hope. He deals with shame. He deals with guilt. He gives you the power to battle sin. He, he helps you to understand why there's evil in the world, why there's good. And he gives you an everlasting life that is assured. So it's all good, but you've got to repent and put your trust in him. So I hope today you'll think about doing that. Oh, yeah. I do have my trust like, in God, like, you know, I have my faith in God. 
Yeah. Uh, it's just like all about just getting better at, you know, uh, getting closer and closer. Yeah. Right. Now just be careful though. It's not about getting better to please God. It's about getting better because God is already pleased with you. Right. Think of it like this is the way the Bible describes it. It uses the term in Christ over and over again. That when we're in Christ, God actually looks at you through the filter of his son. So as much as the Father loves Jesus Christ, that's how much he loves you when you're in Christ. So your good deeds, they can't make you loved by God anymore. You can't get any more loved by God than you are when you're in Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah, we do. Right? Yeah. And it should caught that knowledge that the most intense love in the universe is yours, not because you're lovable, but because you're in Christ, man, that just changes everything. I get up now in the morning and it's like, God loves me with an intensity, like the intensity of the sun. I, I can't be any more loved. Now I don't care what people think anymore. I don't care if people want to gossip. I don't care if people think lowly of me because who cares what the servants think when the king loves you? That's the Christian gospel. So, it's yours. Just make sure that you're not doing good deeds to get yourself right with God. Jesus did it for you. Now you do good because you're already right with God. Okay? It's really important. It's the hinge that your salvation swings on. All right? Hey, I'm glad I got to meet you today. So today has been a tale of two very different conversations, but I do feel like we have learned quite a lot from those two conversations. We heard Todd first talking to Samuel, a young Christian who is seemingly on fire for God and his word, but we heard a disagreement with how Samuel views the Sabbath and with how Todd views the Sabbath. So that led to a slight chat, but nothing major in their conversation. Well, then we turn to Todd talking with John, and he also had some views Todd disagreed with. And what we heard with their conversation was Todd spending quite a bit of time explaining the difference between law and grace. Todd spent time properly explaining works in relation to salvation, and he shared the gospel with John. You never heard him share the gospel with Samuel. You actually heard Samuel articulate the gospel himself. And here's why I find that so fascinating. So two conversations with two people where there are disagreements in each one. One conversation, you have an obvious Christian with a different view of a non-essential doctrine. The other conversation is with a Catholic with beliefs rooted in works and prosperity. Neither chat led to an argument over the differences, but how can you discern and know when you should push into a difference in your theology and someone you're speaking with? I think Todd masterfully demonstrated that today, and I would like to recommend to you a video resource that will help you walk through how you're able to do just that. It's available in the Wretched Store, Christian Liberty. It can help you understand how to live in harmony with people that you disagree with, and you'll learn which issues to press into and which issues that shouldn't really cause a divide. Todd, Phil Johnson, and Ty Blackburn do a great job walking through Christian liberty. So check it out now in the Wretched store at wretched.org. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.